Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. You found the dogs, John. You found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous Forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinaro on this Monday, July 10. How is everyone doing? And you can watch us, of course, on YouTube Live, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. The Sick Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. Also, experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables. A bad beat jackpot approaching $2.3 million weekly promotions, daily tournaments, and unmatched customer service. Why play anywhere else? Located just over the Mercia Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. Of course, I'm talking to you about Playground and Brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TB, embrace your true nature. Marinero, we're talking haps tonight the way we usually do right here on the Sick Podcast. Let's bring in a regular collaborator throughout the entire hockey season, even during the summer when it's Monday, July 10th. Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. What's going on, dog? I'm in full summer mode. No joke. You are the absolute best. I'm telling you, I was I was looking at you while the countdown was going on because we have a little private window while it goes on, and you were you were blasting out uh, sick, sick, sick is the sickest podcast where you can even watch back. We're going to give everything. We're going to bring the house down tonight. This is sports talk for the new generation, riding high on this wave of emotion. Man, you were belting it out, Eric. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't get it out of my head. It's just it's so you're, you're unbelievable. You know that? My God. And you know all the words, too. It's incredible. Yeah. Hey, what's going no on? One, no one will ever see that tape. No one will ever see it. Uh, I have it in my head. I have it in my head. There you go. Yellow too, by the way, was belting it out. Back at Master Control, I saw him. You guys were singing away. It was amazing, man. It looked like... Uh, you guys look like the Rolling Stones. Hey, listen, what's going on with the Habs, man? What's what's the latest? Yeah, what's the the latest? I think uh, they're vacationing like I am right now. Eh, it's not vacation yeah. for everyone. Alex Newhook was on the ice uh, earlier today, I believe, uh, in Boston. He was spotted. Did you not see that? I saw that on social media, by the way. 
I forget who it is that put it up. Uh, I don't know if it was. Uh, uh, let me see. I might have it here. I was looking at it earlier before uh, because I like to give credit where credit is due. But I think somebody spotted it. I think well, it was. While you look, uh, Fred, I'm just going to tell you. I am. You know, we get to this part of the summer. I am very unplugged from social media. I only plug in just for you. You ask me to come. I'm here for you. Really? Eh? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Thank you very much for that. Otherwise, I think it I'm was golf uh, course. I'm in the sunshine. I'm walking around. I'm making amazing meals at home. I think it was Habs on Reddit that had it, by the way. Okay. Well, they had to have gotten it from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there was uh, he was uh, on the ice, uh, I believe, at Harvard. I would expect uh, most people are on the ice right now. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Many NHL hockey players getting ready for the next season. It's never too early for them. Yeah, one of the things we put up earlier this morning, we put up a little uh, graphic, if we can bring it up, and I think that will be the, co- the topic of conversation tonight uh, because you never, we never really had a show yet where we took a look at the body of work thus far in the summer. And by the way, these are notable off-season moves and not all the off-season moves, of course not, because you'll notice that on this chart, you know, Anthony Richard being let go is missing, and Anderson being picked up is not there, and yep. stuff like that. But for the I most don't see part, the, uh, the the Mitchell Stevens signing here, and you don't see the Mitchell Stevens signing, which was announced earlier today. Uh, but signed and acquired David Reinbacher, Raphael RV Pinard, Alex Newhook, Michael Pozzetta, Cole Caulfield, Sean Monahan. Of course, everyone knows by now that David Reinbacher was uh, the Canadians' pick, fifth overall. In the draft, the rest are obviously pro players, and they weren't draft players. And the players that were lost uh, were Joel Edmondson that was traded. Not really lost because he was traded, but Jonathan Drouin, they made him walk, and he signed with the Colorado Avalanche. And Alex Belzil, they did the same, and uh, he ended up signing on with the uh, New York Rangers. Belzil wanted the same deal that Pozzetta ultimately got. He wanted a two-year contract on a one-way And so one of the things that we can talk about, which we haven't talked about yet, is was the right move made if you were going to bring back one of the two players and slot them in on your fourth line, was the right move to choose Pozzetta over Belzil? Yes or no? Because I'd be willing to bet that there's two sectors of the media that cover this fan base. One sector will say, yes, it was the right move, and the other sector will say, no, it was the wrong move. As a matter of fact, they're not going to say no, it was the wrong move. They're going to say, they went on down. See, my next is Bernard Malle. It's Papa Nation qui a pris le Eric. You know, it's July 10th when people are arguing uh, about Belzil versus Pizzetta. But oui, but oui, but like, uh, it's, uh, it tells you the depth of passion in this marketplace that this is. passion, the passion. Mais... I, if you're not the first person bringing this up, yes, that really. We're not talking about two players who fill the same mandate. You know, one of them makes his, his teammates a little taller and a little heavier the way he plays and Michael Pizzetta and is a lot younger. The other is 31 years old and got a chance after there was a multitude of injuries with the Canadians yeah. to show that he can be a useful NHL player. 
Um, I think Michael Pizzetta also showed and had to wait to show it last year because he had to wait for some injuries to happen, that he's a useful NHL player. He can score some goals here and there. He can give you energy on the in the offensive zone. He can fight. Uh, he'll stand up for his teammates. He'll do the little things. And I think Alex Belzil is willing to do all those things too. Just he's 31 years old. You know, like it's – yeah. I, I, one of the big things about the Canadians offseason is really creating space. And I don't think Kent Hughes has done creating space for young players who are emerging, not necessarily to make their team, but to at least have the opportunity to at least come to camp and feel like it is a possibility that they could push somebody out of a seat and that maybe there is a hole there that they can squeeze into. And um, I think last year and the last couple of years showed how important depth is at the NHL level. You know, you need to have a number of players available to you to play. That's why a lot of people are looking at what's up at center ice now that Newhook is there and they see a surplus. I don't see it as a surplus. I see it as like a kind of a happy problem to have. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the wing, there's definitely a surplus. And I think there there could be a couple of players going. So if we're talking about the players that could be going – Mike Hoffman is obviously the top guy that comes to mind. I think it would be really yeah. hard to move y'all army out. People will talk nonstop between now and camp about Christian Dvorak. Uh, I don't see an urgency with Dvorak. You're not just going to give away a center just to be able to create space. Um, there is a certain element of asset management to that, and I don't think there's an urgency on Ken Hughes' behalf to give Christian Dvorak away the way some of the players we saw around the league get given away before the draft happened. Hold so, him, not only before the draft, hold them on at least to the deadline, dangle them at the deadline if you want. Yeah, dangle no, I just mean prior to this year's draft, we yeah, saw yeah, some yeah, players yeah. move yeah. for free to create space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, for teams that were going to be players in free agency. Yeah. But, you know, Dvorak's a There's no urgency player, with like Dvorak. Yeah. yeah, he's a serviceable player. He's a good player. Ken Hughes you know, isn't he, looking at his center ice position and saying, we have too many guys. Yeah, he's, <laughs> neither he's is Marty St. Louis. So he's he's a serviceable player. Yeah, you know, mind you, he, he, he needs to be. He, a, didn't, he didn't quite replace Phil Deneau. If he's going to be in Montreal moving forward, he needs to be a lot more visible than he's been for the last two years. The fact that you could go through so many games last year where he was a non-factor, he didn't hurt the yeah. team, but he didn't help the team. That can't continue moving forward at the salary he makes and the profile of player that he is and what he can actually do based yeah. on what we saw from him in Arizona. And we've seen some pockets of it. He, there's a lot of subtleties to Christian Dvorak's game. I think one of the things that hurts him the most in this market is that he's not an exciting player. There's a lot of the stuff that he does well that doesn't pop to the eye. And he's gluten-free. He's gluten-free. He's yeah, blind. He's gluten he's free. So, so when you have that profile of player, and on top of that, there's you know roughly half the games where he doesn't have an impact on the game in that positive way. Not that he has a negative impact. No, that's a double whammy. But you know that that you're not that exciting, and the points aren't there, or the defensive shutdown isn't there, and you didn't have a game that was of influence. There yeah. was too many of those over the last two years. But there's still potential for the player to be better with some better players around that are coming through, and some players that have matured a bit. Yeah, and there's no rush. You know, you've got him, you've got Evans, you've got Newhook, you've got Doc, you've got Suzuki, Monahan. you've got Monahan. You're in a winning position if you have a couple of centers per line. Yeah, you're, for sure. You're becoming a better team if you're able to do that. Yeah. Where they need to free up some space, though, is a guy like Mike Hoffman, if it comes down to giving him away, give potentially giving up an asset to do it or saving cap space, I don't think they'd like to do both. 
I don't think they'd like to retain salary and give up an asset to give away Mike Hoffman. Yeah. If it comes down to waiving him at training camp to make room because somebody's making push, uh, you know, again, I don't think Kent Hughes necessarily wants to do that with his veteran players, but I don't think he's afraid to do it either. So there's still room in terms of what the major mandate was for this offseason because as we're about to get into that discussion and yeah. grade the offseason, I don't think the Canadians were set up this offseason to be marked on a A to F kind of level. Like they were set up to do exactly what they did because their plan is have the kids take another step, have everybody show that they're motivated and have matured a year and some money is going to free up in a year from now and the team is going to be more competitive and there will be more of an incentive to go out there and make some sort of big splash decisions where you'd be sitting there saying, okay, how would we rate the, the big decisions that have been made? Because when you look at what's been done, it's not exactly major surgery here. So, I, you know, and maybe people see that as a failure, but that's a part of the, the plan. So I'll, uh, I'll personally drive Mike Hoffman to the, uh, to the airport. Unfortunately, no, I do not have a machine. Nor do I have a Lincoln Navigator, but I do have a beautiful all-red Piaggio Vespa. Beautiful, which I picked up at Excel Moto, by the way, at 5480 Power, excelmoto.com. You want to check them out. That's, uh, for me, only one place in Montreal you can get. A Vespa, and I picked it up there. I have two helmets, and if he wants to get in the back seat, like Jim Carrey did with his co-host there in Dumb and Dumber, uh, I think, you know, it'll be pretty cool. But I'll personally drive him to the airport. And the beauty of the Vespa, I don't even have to park. I just go to departures, Pierre Elliott Airport. I uh, keep the hazard lights on. I just pull over. I said, bye-bye, Mike. Ciao. See you later. And that's it. And it's done. Uh, and by the way, in Italian, we have a saying regarding Christian Dvorak. No caldo, no freddo. Not cold, not hot. It's just, you know, it's just, it is what it is, basically. But he's you know, better course, than that. He, that's the thing about that player. He needs okay, to show it. He yeah. needs to show it. He's he's better than that. You won't see the sizzle. Yeah, Not a lot of sizzle there. But you speak to anybody who watched him for all his years in Arizona. And yeah. maybe, maybe, you know, what this year will prove, which already looks to be the case, is Montreal isn't the market for him. Maybe the attention and the amount that's of spotlight point. is not for him. But I still think it's a little early to decide that. You know, he had some injury issues. He had some situations where he wasn't playing with a lot of support. But this guy is a better player than he's shown in Montreal. And he has an opportunity to continue showing it if he remains on this team through the summer, which I think a lot of fans are kind of pushing him out the door, thinking, okay, there's this logjam at center. And, you know, maybe he will move. It's He's certainly not untouchable. But that's where he'll be back and he can play better. When you, play for, when you play for the Montreal Canadiens, though, uh, it's a very passionate fan base. Obviously, you know that. You know it's a very rich history and stuff like that. If you're able to bring some passion to the rink, you just on the passion alone, your game, you might not be doing anything differently with your game, but if you play with passion, your game looks better. Okay. And I find Dvorak doesn't play with passion. It's like certain things in life, right? So if, how does how does Mike Pizzetta's game look to you? Mike Pizzetta's, Mike, versus Pizzetta. Mike Pizzetta's game is an average game, but he brings that passion to the rink, so therefore he becomes of utility to the team. Now, is he average within his role, though? I think he plays his role pretty well. I yeah, think he plays he, his role he, pretty well. He's not a perfect player. He's not a defensive maven. He's no, an energy but, player. 
And he's he an energy better. player, but yes, yes, he brings. So this is what I love most about Pozzetta. Pozzetta's an ultimate team guy, right? He's, you know, when Cashin did what he did, what was it, the Montan Bowl the year before, no one did anything. You know, Pizzetta went out of his way the year after to to say to Cashin, yeah, I didn't forget what you did. Let's go. Whether he's Jack the Giant Killer or not, whether he wins the majority of his fights or he doesn't, he's a team guy with a long memory. And if he has to, you know, take a couple of punches, um, he takes a couple of punches. I he's got a pretty good wrist shot. Um, he's got he's got some decent feet. If I was him, the element that I think he has to add to this game, and unfortunately I don't have a chart to show it or not, I may be actually you know, saying something completely off here. I think I'd like to see more hits. I think I'd like to see more hits. Watch, someone's going to come up with a stat where he probably has a lot of hits. But I, I, well, I he's just, up there I on the Canadians for sure. He's, I don't find that. I, I find he can hit more and kind of change the momentum of a hockey game. But, you know, we talked about, Pizzetta versus Belzil before, and you talked about the age difference and all that stuff. But I'll tell you this. So, and I think I think we'll agree on this. Belzil is a better hockey player. But is he a better hockey player in the role that Michael Pizzetta is being asked to play? No. That's the thing. There you go. So I think and Belzil by himself. In the age. Yes. So I think. You know what Bel- I'll say about Mike Pizzetta? Here's what I'll say about Mike Pizzetta. Every year that I've watched him with the Canadians, and I'm not talking about just the games that everybody watches, I'm at every practice, I see a player that's getting better. And I don't think he's done getting better. And he is a guy who works extremely hard at getting better. And he has a coach who's encouraging him to do some things that most other coaches or or no other coaches have ever asked him to do. And he's proven capable of doing those things, and that's why he continued to play for Marty St. Louis. Yeah, and I think he got a little bit of a taste on the penalty kill last year. And if he can take on a little bit more, he becomes a more important role player on yeah. the team. I don't, think the, be, I don't think the ceiling's very high, but I understand no, exactly what you're saying. Never gonna be more than a, what you're saying. never going to be more than a fourth-line player. Yeah, But he can continuously, and he is showing that he is continuing to get better within the role that he's been assigned. Yeah. and That's what players, I like about Mike Pizzetta. Both players, by the way, I'm sure would, you know, of course they want to play, but they're not going to disrupt the locker room if they would be the 13th man for one game, no, two everybody games, loves game guys. seven games, eight games in a row. And I don't think it's going to affect their development, especially Belzil. Like Belzil's reached, you know, his, he's, he's, he's reached the ceiling. He's not going to become better. And so if he would miss five, six games in a row, it wouldn't affect his development. Pozzetta maybe a little yeah. bit because, like you said, he is getting better every game. Like you said, like Belzil's – like where you said like Belzil is a better player. You're right. Like if if push came to shove and Belzil had to slot in high, on the third line instead of the fourth, he'd be more capable of playing that role than Michael Pozzetta. But you would also agree that if you're in a situation where Belzil is on your third line, you have a problem. Yeah. So it's really about who plays the role, what the age difference is, and what the potential is based on that age difference. And, and what we've seen from Pozzetta is he's a guy that, he cares so much, and he has improved, and he has a willingness to continue to improve, and he's gaining more trust, and he's gaining more trust in himself. And everybody loves him. 
And there's a reason because, like yeah. you said, to start, he's a team guy. Not just a guy who takes a couple punches in the face. He's a team guy that would do anything yeah. for the team. And Belzo is one of those guys, too. He's a, he's a great insurance policy because George Larac joined me last week. And let's face it, the Atlantic got tougher with Imama. It got tougher with Lucic. It got tougher with Ryan Reeves. And you'd have to think that Arbor Jack guy is probably going to have to answer the bell the upcoming season. He did last year, unfortunately, maybe too many times, and he got hurt in the process. But you don't want Jack guy, and it doesn't happen all the time, and fighting's gone down, but you don't want him to do it all the time. Pizzetta's there in terms of a support system for him. So I think that's good. And by the way, I expected Pizzetta to be the one that was going to be signed and not Belzil. I talked about that last year on radio and television, en français. So I'm not surprised by the move. But, um, yeah, they were going to bring – they were going to give a two-year contract one way to one of them. And ultimately, like you said, they ended up giving it to the guy who's younger, the guy who plays a specific role, the guy who defends his teammates, and the guy who hasn't hit his ceiling yet and still continues to be a little bit better. I I want to say something about Christian Dvorak, and it wasn't even my plan to talk about Dvorak tonight, but he came up, so let's talk about it. Why not? It's not like we don't have time on our hands here. We got time. Uh, And one of the things that I said that hurts him is he doesn't play with passion for a team and a city that demands. I don't like, I'm interrupting you, but I don't like that characterization. I, I don't. I think the problem, and I was trying to get to it before, is that there's no sizzle there. And it can come across as he's aloof or whatever. He cares. Believe me, he cares. He is passionate. It just doesn't pop in his play. It just doesn't doesn't show like a guy. It's not his style. I can't explain. It's hard to explain. I know a lot of people will look at it and say, oh, man, I wish he was more passionate. But it, his style of game is very subtle. It doesn't. When he's playing really well, you won't notice three-quarters of the things that he's doing well that make a difference, and he doesn't pop off the screen on offense or defense. Yeah, look, Eric, of course he cares. I mean, he's a professional athlete. I mean, you don't get to that level. Without, I know, but uh, we got to say that sometimes, Tony. You no, you're say right. That yeah, because people accuse these guys of not caring. Everybody cares. Like they're, Nobody's coming to work and saying, I don't care, and not with a coach like Marty St. Louis who demands that as a prerequisite. Eric, I, w- I would be willing to bet that every man cares about his woman or uh, and uh, but, uh, you know, some, you know, uh, treat them with more passion uh, than others treat theirs. And, uh, you know, th- th- that's that's what I'm trying to get at, Eric. You know, like you need to add passion to the game. And sometimes when the passion is not into it, it's, you know, yeah. you don't get a passing grade. And, you know, another thing that I think hurts Dvorak is. <clears throat> You know, he was brought in as the guy who was not going to replace Philip Deneau, but the guy who was going to do Deneau's job after Deneau walked off. And I could tell you, my buddy Rick Rossi is absolutely devastated, by the way, that uh, the Montreal Canadiens let Phil Deneau walk. Like, still, I was at his house last week, and he's, he told me he couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep because Phil Deneau is a Los Angeles king, and he said, Tony, the Los Angeles kings are going to win the Stanley Cup with Phil Deneau. So there you have it. Do you know Rick Rossi, by the way? I don't. Yeah, well, uh, many do, by the way. should introduce them to you one day. Uh, but uh, he's devastated that uh, Phil Deneau is a Los Angeles king. He has not got over it. As a matter of fact, uh, he's, he hasn't got over it. Like, I, I, need to, I need to talk. Like, I need to have daily talks with him to, I was to just, get over as, it. As you were talking about this, I was just looking at Christian Dvorak's stats. Like, I don't even think Canadians fans would realize that 
in his two years in Montreal, in the first he had a 56 game season, he put up 33 points and had a faceoff percentage win of 56.7. That's not bad. That's pretty good, actually. And in the second year, 64 games, 10 goals, 28 points, 52% of the faceoff dot. So over 50, around 30 points on an average, 31 points between those two seasons and a bridge seasons both times because he had injuries. Uh, in the 56 to 64 range. So basically half a point a game and over 50 in the dot. And that's pretty decent. That's pretty good. I know, but like, I don't think because of what we're talking about, because that sizzle isn't there because yeah. When do you watch a game and you're like, did you see that play the Vorak made? Like nobody ever says that. No, it doesn't happen. They would not even, I don't think I, I, I would, I mean, I don't want to make any general statements, but I'd be really surprised if 50% of Montreal Canadiens fans could rattle off those stats and 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 not be surprised that that actually happened. And I think he can be better than that. I think he can be better than that, which would make up for, you know, not having the sizzle. Because in Arizona, it was, you know, 37, 38 points and 55% of the dot both years. Like, he was on the upswing before he came to Montreal. And whenever the that 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 Dano comparison, that yeah. was never a fair comparison. It was really more no, like he's going to no. replace Kakaniemi. Um, he's never going to be Phil Dano. But that's what I'm talking about. There are just some little details in there. Mm-hmm. But regardless of whether they show or not, you cannot have 50% of your games look like nothing happens when you're on the ice, whether it's good or or bad nothing happening just having no impact on the outcome that, so one that, of the players so one of the players who was acquired of course was Alec Newhook mm-hmm. uh for the 31st pick the 37th pick and Johnny Furbrother he's a guy that you know can play wing and can play center and might end up taking Christian Dvorak's role when all is said and done uh we talked about uh him practicing earlier today when the Montreal Canadiens jersey at Harvard and uh, our buddy Anthony Martineau of TVA Sport says, uh, based on his information, we're coming to a conclusion here, and there's going to be a contract. A contract is imminent between the Montreal Canadiens and Alex Newhook. What are we looking at, Eric? I can't really say for sure. I, I think, you know, Kent Hughes and the Canadians know where the money is going to be on Newhook. Uh, the term is a question. You know, he's coming out of entry level. He has put up a certain amount of – I think he's coming out of entry level, right? I'm not, mis- I'm not mistaken on that. Might as well check. Yeah, I'll check. Yeah, just really quickly. Pretty sure it's entry level. Sorry, I haven't looked at it in a a little bit, so I don't want to misspeak. Yeah, I would. Yeah, so he's coming at entry level. Um, I think you're looking at a number that's likely going to be between three and four million dollars, and the question is, it's is it going to be a deal like Doc's deal? where it's, you know, three years or four years, or is it going to be a one-year deal? And, like, I could understand if Alex Newhook would rather sign a one-year deal. Uh, Market's going up, moving forward. He's Uh going to be put in a premium position with the Canadians to have better production than he did in Colorado. Uh And he needs to take advantage of it. Will he bet on himself? You know, when Kirby Doc came here, the market was what it was. It was going to be stagnant for another two years, the cap I'm talking about. 
he was coming off a real high pressure situation in Chicago where things didn't work out as well as people would hope for a third overall pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kent Hughes gave him security. He took the burden of playing for a new contract off his plate. They put him on the wing and got him a chance to start generating some production and gain confidence to get back to center. And that was a really good situation for Doc based on what he had produced, you know, lesser numbers in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, And a really amazing one for the Canadians based on what their projections were for the player and where they think he would go. I think that's the term that they're. I think that's the term they're targeting, Eric. I think they want to look at a four-year deal from there. Yeah, if you're the Canadians, it's perfect. If if you believe in the potential of a player and you believe that he'll hit three quarters of it over the term of a deal that's paying him between three and four million dollars, of course that's what you want to do, and you'll sell it the same way you did to Doc. We're going to take this pressure off your shoulders. We're going to give you security. You're going to come out of the deal at an age where you've got a lot of power on your side and an opportunity if you do what you're supposed to do to make a lot of money and we'll Uh still fill your pockets pretty well with a good amount of money. That's, and we'll give you opportunity. So let's see where it goes. What do you think? Four years, four years, 10 million. Yeah, I could see it being three years or one year. It'll all depend on how new hook. It all depend on how new hook is viewing his situation. And I got to tell you, if I were in his shoes, I'd bet on myself. I'd take a one-year deal. I'd take a one-year deal between three and four if that's what's on offer and wait and see what happens. Maybe you show up at camp and you're playing with Caulfield and Suzuki, which, by the way, as I go through the Canadians' lines in my head, I could really see that being the start. I could really see Alex Newhook playing with Caulfield and Suzuki to start just to see if there's a spark there, whatever it is, so that you can keep Kirby Doc on your second line with you know, whoever you want to put there, whichever wingers you want. Maybe it'll be Raphael Harvey-Pinard with Suzuki and, and Caulfield and Newhook will play with Doc. Either way, pretty good situation for all the players I just mentioned. So if I'm Newhook, I'm saying I'm going to have a better opportunity than I had in Colorado. These guys traded for me. They believe in me. I know Kent Hughes really well. I'm going to take a one-year deal. And the Maybe, market's uh, increase next year and the year after that. And yeah. I'm going I'm to kill it. I'm going to take That's- advantage of every opportunity they give me. That's a possibility for sure. Another possibility is something that worked, and you have Suzuki Caulfield, and you have Kirby Doc on the right. You can have Sean Monahan center your second line if you want. Yeah, it's nice to have options. And you can get Newhook on a third line with Dvorak, and they take turns yeah. center. Or you could have Newhook centering the second line. I mean, let's let's be serious. Like Monahan yes. is coming off a twenty-five game season and two surgeries, yes. and you know, three surgeries in three years, and yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't see Monaghan handling, you know, 17 minutes a night uh, up yeah. the middle. Um, but that's the beauty of their situation. That's why when fans are kind that's of on the table saying, get rid of a center, what are you doing? Yeah. That's the value of having six centers. You know, like you can you yeah. can put Doc and Newhook together. Or you can put Doc and Monaghan together. Or you can put Doc and Suzuki together. You know, you, you have lefties, you have righties, you have people who can switch off in the faceoffs. Some nights you can line up with – Suzuki, Doc, and Newhook up the middle as a as a three band punch. You know, all to say the Canadians should be better at that position with this player in the fold and with yeah. Monaghan back and Dvorak motivated and and Jake Evans. I think a lot of people looked at Jake Evans last year and said, "Oh, you know, the production isn't there." And yeah. I thought while he wasn't scoring, he was playing the best hockey he'd ever played for the Canadians. He was the details that he was taking care of before he got hurt and very terrible yeah. timing that he got hurt because he was starting to pick it up offensively. Yeah. He was playing great. So 
this is it's a good you know we're not talking about the best center line in the Atlantic Division far no. from it but we are talking about a lot more versatility for Martin San Luis to choose from as you know especially considering even if they're half as healthy as they were last year so you know it was it was a year ago that uh, Cat Hughes gave Kirby Doc a four year deal at three point three six three million dollars per year. Kirby Doc, who was drafted third overall. One year later, the Canadians make a trade. They acquire Alex Newhook, who's also a former first-round pick, but he was drafted 16th overall. His numbers, I mean, his career high is, what, 30, 33 points. I mean, so I don't – I mean, the number I gave you, like, I don't see Alex Newhook getting more than a $3 million, $3 million per season, I mean, on a, on a multi-year it deal. Depends so how I, long, it depends how long the deal is, and we're talking about different market dynamics moving forward and whether or not – if they go beyond four years, if they're paying for unrestricted free agent years, there's a lot of things to factor into it. Not to mention that Newhook comes over, I think, having produced a little bit more than Doc did, even though Doc's potential was probably a bit higher than Newhook's when he mm-hmm. came over. So, you know, I think it's safe to assume the number is probably going to be between three and four million bucks. How long the deal is, is going to depend on a couple of things. I think you're right. I think Ken Hughes and, and Montreal. Would would love. <laughs> Sorry about that. My hair is important okay, to me. Go ahead. What are you? Um, yeah, no. I think I'm sure the I'm sure you're right. I think the Canadians would love to have him on a medium term deal that you know pays him a very reasonable amount, and they get the potential of the player that they believe in. Uh, I think if you're Alex Newhook, like I said, bet on yourself. You know, bit of a different situation than Kirby. Yeah. Bet on yourself. Jonathan Drew, I really no surprise, eh? I mean, we saw this one coming from a mile away. Like a year ago, we knew that his future was not going to be with the Montreal Canadiens. But in the end, I mean, everyone knows it's the trade that didn't work out. Everyone knows that it was um, it was too much of a pressure situation for, you know, a guy coming home. And sometimes they thrive and sometimes they don't. And unfortunately, it, it let, let's, you know, there was some injuries. There was some bad luck there for sure. At the end of the day, you know, uh, he didn't meet the expectations, but you know what? Um, what Dre, like a lot of the before we get to the Colorado stuff, let's like revisit the Montreal stuff. Yeah, I, I would say this about Duran. Um, a lot of the bad, and there was plenty of it while he was in Montreal. He owns. You know, I'm not sitting here. I think a lot of people saw me as a Duran defender throughout the years. And I, it bothered me. It did bother me that when Jonathan Durant played well, he didn't get the credit for it. And there were times where he played really well. Well, <laughs> because it, it, what, it's not right, whatever. You know, it's not the def- It's because everyone expected him to have yes. to play well, right? I mean, I understand. He, he arrived here, and before he even stepped foot into the Bell Center, there was, uh, you know, a three-page contract which uh, had him paid, you know, $33 million over the next six years that he signed, uh, you know, before even lacing up he his skates. So. He also spent, like, his first day as a Canadian walking around old Montreal with the Canadians and their camera crew asking fans what they think Jonathan Durant will, will put up his points in his first season, and people were saying 50 goals. Um, and he was sitting there like, oh, okay, like, that's – like and half of them didn't recognize that it was actually him asking them the question. It was, it, I don't know if you remember that video. Yeah, I do. I do. It was, it was funny. funny actually. Yes, it was very well done by the Canadians. You know, I, I want to say a bunch of things about Duran, and and I'm prefacing it by saying the bad with Duran. There was plenty of it. He owns. 
You know, yes. he played the biggest role in it. Were there other factors in it from injuries to the way he was handled to the, to the positions he was put in? Absolutely. But he owns it. And, and, and one thing I respect about Jonathan Drouet is he always owned it with us. And he faced a lot of fucking hard questions, man. Like, honestly, on a daily basis and whenever something was going on and whenever he was in the shit, he was asked for by media members and he showed up and he answered those questions. That's and true. I always, I always respected that about him. Yeah, that's true. But I also felt what was unfair throughout a lot of the portion that he was here when he played well you know, he went through periods where, okay, he wasn't scoring goals, but he was scoring over a, uh, an assist a game. And he was playing well, and he was creating things, and the puck wasn't going in for him, but he was creating chances. Could he have created more? Could he have gone to the net more? Could he have ended up burying more of those chances if he was willing to put himself into those positions? Yeah. Yes. Was he playing like an absolute dog that he was being treated like half the time? No. You know, like, there was a lot about Drew that – it, it was just a really hard situation for him in Montreal. Yeah. For know, me, the, uh, talking about. the drawing situation is simple. I see it's pretty simple anyway. <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I have an opinion on it, so I'm going to give it to you. We see this all the time. We see players that play a sport that up until a certain age, they're so much better than everyone else because they're just, they got talent coming out of their ears. And then, as you go on, some of those talented players end up being some of the best players in the world because hockey's everything to them, and they work at it 24 hours a day. Others don't work as hard because they have so much talent that if they rely on that talent, they belong. They won't elevate. And they'll no longer be dominant, but they can play. And based on what I think and I kind of know and I kind of hear, Joy is not the hardest worker in the world. And when you end up playing in the best league in the world, where the gap is no longer as big as it was when you were playing junior hockey, where you were so much better than the next tier of players. If you're not working very, very hard, you'll be end up becoming pretty average. So I think there's some validity in that. I, I think there's some validity in that perception. And I think even if there wasn't validity in that perception, Jonathan Drouin's time in Montreal lent to the inference anybody would make that, that speaks to exactly what you're saying. Okay. But I would also say, why is that? Like, what's behind that? Because we are talking about a player that, without exaggeration, is the most passionate about hockey in that locker room. The guy who watches the most – ask any player in the Canadians' room. He knows a lot about watches, it. Watches the most hockey. The guy who pays attention the most to the tendencies and all that. And I think what's behind – what you're saying where that work ethic never met the talent. Cause like when we talk about it and you talk about the success of the best players in the world, Sidney Crosby is the model example at a point or at a 10 year point, he was the most talented player in the world. And he was also the hardest working player in the world. Nathan McKinnon's right? pretty hard worker as well. And, and, I, and I feel comfortable in saying that Connor Bedard will be talking about that. Yeah, for the next and 10 years as well. McDavid, McDavid is too. And McKinnon, it took him three years 
to really understand how much deeper he needed to dig. And Drouet never quite was able to match those two things on the on the axis, right? Like, yeah. And I think he's an emotional guy, and he's had crises of confidence, and he's had injuries, and he had his issues with anxiety, which he was very forward about. Um, and I think all those are factors in what becomes kind of a visual that we take from his play that, oh, you know, here's a guy with all the talent and he doesn't work quite, but you know, I'm, and maybe it's my job as a reporter. And and what I think about is why, like what's behind that? Because when we're talking about a player who we know cares about the game so much, a guy who goes to the outdoor rinks when he's on vacation, like. But working hard, Eric. It's hard to understand why it isn't there, right? Like it's hard. Working, Working hard is painful, Eric. There's a, there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of sweat, and there's yeah. a lot of tears in working hard, right? And like yeah. you know, like uh, but you need to believe in yourself too, and you need to have the confidence that you can push yourself to another level, and you need to have a certain voice that shuts down that voice of doubt in your head. And and I think Jonathan is still a young guy. He's not a young player anymore, based on his experience, but he's a young guy, and for most of his time in Montreal, he was a young guy. And I think just those things never matched up. But I will say that if he was going to get another opportunity in the NHL, it's the perfect one. The one he has right now is the best one. And perfect. People will talk about him and McKinnon. Take a look at the Avalanche roster, okay? It's not a rush to get Jonathan Drouin next to Nathan McKinnon in the lineup. But no. having McKinnon around to be a voice that helps quiet some of the doubt in this kid's head. Having McKinnon around to say, I know how fucking good you are, and I'm going to push you to the limit. Yeah. I think that could inspire some of the greatness that we know Jonathan Drouin actually possesses. Because the, I, talent, the talent is through the roof. I, I think that's, that's, that's pretty interesting what you're saying, because I'm not so sure he had a teammate in Montreal that, that understood him to that level? That understood him yeah. to that level. And because, look, they had players in Montreal that could basically look him in the eyes right up against the wall and say, I don't think you're bringing it and, and I'm not happy with you type of thing. They had those players. Yeah. But players, a player that has as much skill or more than him, who's been there with him, who went through that grind with him, who had success with him, who's turned out being a star in the league and won a cup. They they don't have they don't have a Nathan McKinnon who went through everything he went through and withdrawing can look him in the eyes and say, John, man, you and I, we've got the battle together. I know you're better than what you're showing me, man. Yeah. Let's go, man. I mean take the way the way you're here. saying it the way you're saying it is important though. Like there's different types of reinforcement, and it works yeah. different. Some players need to be told their shit to play well. Some players just need that. They yeah. just need somebody in their face saying, where are you? Wake up. And some players need 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 to be talked to in a manner that's like, I know how good you are. You know how good you are. And I know what you can do, and we're going to push you to this level. Like, But here's something else, though, Don't sit here feeling sorry for it. I will tell you one thing about Jonathan Drouin. Yeah. No matter what anybody said to him in that room, he always yeah. knew the truth about his game. 
You always of course knew. he does. Yeah, yeah, of course he does. No, no, he's he always been honest with himself. Hard, he was very hard on too hard on himself at times, much like yeah. Max Pacioretty before that. Like, yeah. I just think he's in a place now where he has somebody who knows him that well, and he's being given an opportunity outside of this situation in Montreal. You clearly needed a change, and everybody would understand why. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who have justifiably given up on the player ever hitting his potential. I would suggest that he still has it in him to be much better than what he showed in his time in Montreal. And if he's able to do that, I think it would be a very compelling and excellent story that I would love to cover. And I'm sure anybody else who knows Jonathan and who has asked him those hard questions and seen him stand up to that noise and that music and face here's, it every day. Yeah. I would love to see him go and kill it. It would be here's, great. Here's a big difference too. In Colorado, he could end up being the sixth best player on a night. It will be good enough for the fan base and yeah. it will be good enough for the coaching staff and it will be good enough for everyone. It's very so, well so, so McKinnon could play better than him. Um, Landis Scott can play better than him. Well, Landis Scott won't be playing, but yeah, no, he won't because he's out with that knee injury. You're right. Ran today uh, and go through Rant the list. can play better than him. Um, and um, and uh, you know, Devin, Devin Taves can be better than him, and Kale McCarr can be better than him, and maybe even Ryan Johansson can be better than him. He can end up being the fifth or sixth best player. It will be good enough. If he's the sixth best player for the Canadians night in and night out in this market, you get crucified. If you're Jonathan Drouin, you're from here, you're a first-round pick, you're third overall, they traded Sergeyev for you, and you signed the six-year $33 million contract before you stepped on He was on the cross almost every night. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's very well said. Yeah. Listen, I'm not just another pretty face, you know. Like, I know what I'm talking about, Eric. Or or sparkling, shiny hair. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, all right. Okay. Uh, a shout out, uh, of course, to uh, Murphy Clinic, by the way, speaking of a pretty face, they're an aesthetic clinic specializing in medical aesthetic care. They offer permanent laser hair removal, which, by the way, I did some, but the white hairs, it doesn't catch the white hairs, Eric. That's why it's important. You can't see them. Your camera it, is. It's, it's, it's important to do the laser hair removal, Eric, on your face at an early age. Because if you don't, it doesn't catch the white hairs in the end, and those stay. As well as a wide range of treatments for skin problems such as acne, rosacea, fine lines, and more. They currently have two clinics, one located in Montreal, Shop Angus, and the second on the North Shore in Terban. They're also opening soon in Quebec City. Visit murphyclinic.ca or on Instagram at murphyclinic. Let me know, uh, Eric, if you ever want to do a laser hair removal on uh, your armpits, because I did, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Okay. Nice and clean. No order. Uh, also, a shout out to Matrix Home Fitness and MatrixHomeFitness.ca. By the way, discover a club quality workout in the comfort of your own home. It is MatrixHomeFitness.ca. All right, okay. Let's bring up that chart one more time and we'll wrap this baby up, okay? Here we go. Reinbacker, we've discussed it at nauseum. Pinard, Newhook, Pizzetta, Cole Caulfield, Sean Monahan, and they end up losing Joel Edmondson, Jonathan Drouin, and Alex Belzil. In ending, RHP. Where do you see him? Can he be that spark plug to play with Caulfield and Suzuki? A certain sector of the media believe he can. Others who get all excited when a player goes through a very hot streak also believe they can. I believe that if Rafael R.B. Pinard establishes himself as a day-in, day-out third liner, c'est mission accomplie. 
You know what? I'm going to say this. Where this contract ended up versus where Harvey Pinard's clan would have hoped it would have gone is going to be better for Harvey Pinard in the end. You're right. And it's going to be better for him in terms of expectation. It's going to be yep. better for him in terms of opportunity. And it's going to keep him as hungry as he's been. Not that I think, I think if he would have signed for $5 million, he'd still be a dog on a bone, but he's young and still has yeah. to prove himself in a season where it matters and we're coming up on one. And I don't know where the Canadians are going to finish. And I'm not yeah. as bold as to sit here on July 10th and say they're going to make the playoffs. Um, but I do believe that in a more competitive environment, he's going to have to earn some of the types of opportunities he got a year ago. Yeah. And I wouldn't bet against him doing that. Is he going to play 82 games with Caulfield and Suzuki? Not a chance. No. Is he going to get opportunities to play up the lineup when a line needs a spark? Is he going to get opportunities to balance out the top six at times? And he's going to get opportunities on the power play. And he's going to make himself a player that Marty St. Louis wants to tap in those situations no yeah. matter who he has on his bench? I think so. And I think this deal sets him up to actually really get a pretty good one the next time around because what this guy has shown is you, you don't bet against him. Don't don't yeah. bet against him. He will work so hard to make himself better and better and better. And he has ability. He has unheralded ability and not just ability that, oh, because everybody was hurt and he got to play 40 games with Suzuki and then – this guy earned everything he got a year ago, even though he was put in a premium position because of it. He didn't turn the contract thing into a mess, which he easily could have, and changed his standing within the team, and he's betting on himself. And I think he's going to win that bet. On that night, you won the night. Eric, thanks for doing this. A regular collaborator on Mondays, even on a Monday, July 10th, uh, in the summer. Uh, on what was uh, a cloudy uh, day uh, mixed with a, rainy uh, a little day. bit of a rainy day, day with a mixed of uh, rain no and showers. And all. Yeah, yeah. No golf for you today. No Maybe golf. golf tomorrow. Looks like it's going to rain most of the week, though, doesn't it? Yeah, golf tomorrow. Golf tomorrow. Golf tomorrow. All right, man. Yeah. You playing with the Toronto Maple Leafs or what? I got my best ball match tomorrow. Oh, really? Big match. Big match. Where are you playing tomorrow? Elmridge. That's where I'm a member. Good for you. Have a good night, Eric. Thanks for doing right. this, man. Take care. All right, Marinaro, thanks for watching on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and Twitter Live. And if you like it, like it, share it with your friends, comment sick, S-I-C-K-S-I-C-K. If you're going to listen to us on Google, Apple, or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It's our way of feeling the love for Agnello and Savvy and Master Control. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.